welcome, my lords, to the White City, where you will learn more about Middle-earth and discover differences and similarities between the Rings of Power show and Tolkien's books, and whether Amazon's show, episode by episode, is worth watching. I'm Philip Dutt, your host, and I'll be joined by Mark Schaefer. I hope you enjoy Welcome back to the White City, guys, with uh, Mark's here with me, and now we're on episode five with the Rings of Power. So yeah, just to start us off, um, so I guess they so they start off with the uh, Southlands people, I'm pretty sure, and uh, one thing that kind of I picked up on, I guess in like the review of the previous episode, they were talking about the evil guy. Might be Sauron. Adar, that's, right, yeah. Yeah, we're, but that's kind of unsure of right now. Uh, basically, uh, you know, said, join me or die. It gave kind of a preface to that episode. And then something else, I guess, they still haven't let us know whether it is Sauron. And I feel like he seems to be, like, the major bad guy right now. But I hesitate to actually say that it could have could be him just because maybe they're trying to make us think oh that could be Sauron and then pull something out of the hat with I don't know anybody else but it wouldn't exactly make sense that it's anybody else but I'm not sure yeah that's a really interesting question of like we're still not sure who Sauron is in the show um it seems like Adar reacts pretty negatively to being called Sauron and some of the other moments that he has, you know, him with the orc, uh, talking about, like, the burning of their skin and talks about how he's going to take away their pain. Seems, like, not super Sauron-esque from... Though, like, Sauron is sort of a mystery from the main show, but it just doesn't seem super Sauron-esque. If you watch the moment whenever the people clad in white are next to the stranger and they're, like, looking for the stranger in the crater, um, if you look at that point, you can hear a whispering in the background and there's a whisper that says, Sauron. So um, my guess is the white-clad, one of the white-clad people is Sauron in the show. Um, But that's just a guess. but yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go from there with Sauron and other things. But yeah. I heard another um, theory on that one is that they could be like the blue wizards who are trying to find Gandalf. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. But they look bad is the thing. They look bad. They feel bad. Yeah. And the blue wizards, well, were blue in nature. All the wizards were some variety of male usually. So... The idea that these are like the wizards, it seems very unlikely. It would be a very weird choice by Amazon to go with these are the blue wizards. No, I definitely agree. I remember even like they sent out some things about each character before the show actually came out. And one thing I remember them talking about was I'm pretty sure they showed a picture of like the same picture of that guy like at the end. He kind of like looks and he's like you know, glaring, and something about it was saying, like, he was Sauron, I, th- I thought. So, yeah, I think, if I remember from the trailers, most people thought that character would be Sauron in his disguise as Anatar, the, the, yeah. the giver of gifts or whatever. Right. I guess another thing about Sauron that we didn't talk about before is, so he's considered, like, an Astari, basically, right? Of the same... Uh, yeah, so he's just like uh, Gandalf, Saruman, and the other Astari, and that he was in Valinor, was created by the main god of the Middle-earth. Um, yeah. yeah. It seems like he came earlier than Gandalf and the other the others did, right? Yeah, so Sauron would have fled in the first age with Morgoth um, from after Morgoth destroys the trees. So yeah, so like Sauron's been in Middle-earth much, much longer, and the book's... Gandalf and the rest of the wizards don't start arriving until, well, the rest of the wizards start arriving in the end of the second age, and Gandalf arrives in the beginning of the third age. Um, So he has a long leg up in them and familiarity with Middle-earth. Right. It's also interesting about how they've drawn out characters, and I think that at a certain point, it's been a little bit to their detriment because I think they want to keep you in suspense about what's happening. But at the same time, it's like, okay, 
like let's get to the next thing now you know people are kind of i don't know it's sometimes bored i think with it like galadriel we know like we know enough about her it's like okay no big deal like you know but for sauron i can see i guess since in the books anyways he was avoiding a lot of people uh, I think some of it is just they're moving slow and then they're going to try to amp things up. And I think that the beginning was a little too slow. Yeah, I think also like um, they've struggled with like a concrete villain, like a hero who typically needs obstacles to overcome. And like we have Adar, but he's like only in the Southlands and not really like his presence isn't really felt in the other storylines as well as like even in that storyline, it seems like he's sort of just willing to wait his time. He's just not a compelling threat, I feel like. And like... And the other storylines, there's like all oh, this like vague threat of Sauron um, returning, and that's not really made concrete in any of the storylines. And the journeys that they have to overcome are more inner struggles and battles, which is a very interesting choice by the creators. But I think yeah. the show might have been better off if they had made Sauron a more concrete presence and threat. Yeah, and um, I think I'd agree because right now it's you know, it's finally getting to this point, but. There's not really a certain, like, bad guy. Mm-hmm. Not a certain person that we're, like, you know, trying to go after. You know, it's just that Gladrew, like, came across this guy that's from the Southlands who, you know, his land was taken by Sauron, and then she figures out, like, oh, this is where Sauron's at. But it seemed like it was just taking a while to get there. Yeah. So more about, like, when they're at that tower... I thought it was interesting that the kid didn't leave with everyone when they left because I was kind of thinking, like, that was, you know, kind of going off of, like, what we were agreeing on with him possibly being a Nazgul eventually. And then it kind of seemed like maybe that idea isn't going to happen. But I could be wrong still, but... Yeah, it definitely was, like, a choice for the right. I think it was interesting sort of seeing him and Arondir, like, bond over, like, archery or whatever um, is interesting and how he comes clean about the sword and stuff. So maybe, actually, he won't be, like, a super villainous character. But And I'm wanting to know what they're going to do with the sword because they called it a key to something. And I don't know if that's even, like, a legit thing that they're pulling from the books or if they're just creating that yeah they are totally creating that so it's like definitely not a thing from the books it'll be interesting to see what they do with it somebody said that they think that the sword might unlock mount doom which will create a cloud of dust thereby protecting all the orcs from the sun and that's why okay. um, they had the conversation about the sun adar and the orc or whatever so that was just a theory i saw but yeah. this is very much not in any of tolkien's literature of like a magic key sword that unlocks right. a volcano or anything else yeah. for that matter so i mean they kind of have that space to just work with so i don't know i don't think no it's, yeah it's not good it's not going to be too detrimental <laughs> to, yeah and it's like not I like i don't know a, a key thing it depends like i don't know like maybe I don't, I don't know if they could do anything with it i guess but yeah and then of course it's at the tower so there's gonna be like a battle of some sort because mm. he's gonna be coming for the key that's also where at the tower where that because it seems like what a rondier was showing them is like somehow that's where the key is going to be used yeah that somehow unlocks something in the tower perhaps perhaps yeah yeah, so I another thing I thought was interesting is that I kind of I thought that maybe a Rondir would be kind of leading the people um in like the kind of like to to fight when Bronway did, I guess. It kind of seemed like oh, are they pushing this agenda for like female leadership kind of a thing. Um but I guess to give it the benefit of the doubt, it could just be that in a sense the people of the Southlands don't like elves, it seems. So for a Rondir to try to lead them doesn't entirely make sense, I guess. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question. It's not one I really thought about. I mean, with like Galadriel and the Queen of the Numenorians and Bronwyn, it seems like they might be sort of pushing that. The only like male leader is Gilgalad, and he's like sort of a yeah pretty negatively portrayed. But, you know, maybe it's just like the way they've gone with the show tolkien actually does portray yeah. a lot of female leadership gladriel is really a queen and stuff like that yeah so yeah it's not like the end of the world yeah so going to numenor we see everybody's getting ready to ship off to middle earth and i think the big part of it is a sealed trying to get passage over there because he wants to go with everyone 
So it's interesting how he didn't put into his calculation that him messing up the sea trail, you know, when they have to prove themselves or whatever, that, I guess, just killed his chance at first. And I think, I don't know if we had talked about it, no, I had talked about it with Matt, about how, I guess, the sealed door from the books was a little more of a rebellious kind of character, or at least is the episode portraying him accurately to like some things that he did yeah that's a really interesting question because Isildur like there are several stories with him in Tolkien's literature but he's not like really dived into especially early on in this point in his life but um it's interesting that they've portrayed him less as a rebel per se and someone who's aimless right he doesn't know what he wants and what he is interested in and now he like found something that he's interested in I think I'd love to see them go through like a character arc with him where he sort of ends up in a different spot, but by the end of his life, he's someone who is both driven and dedicated to fighting evil. The ring is what corrupts him, and I think a lot of the times when we think of who he is, we think of him after he gets the ring of power Mm -hmm. rather than before. Um, Right, because like most people, I mean, everyone haven't read the books, so they don't really know about a sealed door before then so when they see the movies and they just see him go to mount doom with the ring and decide to not destroy it most yeah. people just think oh well then he must just be like a this might be a small spoiler from the books but Isildur's like greatest feat before the last lines of elves and men is that he steals a seed from the tree the white tree and is able to sneak out with it and so this is like this very noble thing he does because this is how they have the same kind of trees uh, they do in Gondor as they did in Numenor because yeah. the soldier stole it and like he had to fight through all these guards and stuff to do it yeah. right so um this is like a very noble and heroic thing to do and so maybe we'll end up with him there at the end of the show yeah now I think that something I really do anticipate is seeing a Lendil and a Seildor just their character development and where they go with that you know yeah it seems like they have elendil sort of really close to where he wants to be he looks very like leadership and kingly and that's sort of what he's like in the books i'm also curious to see an arian like and see what they do with him because he's someone who's talked about even less in the books than isildur is so they have a lot more of a blank check to write with him i think wait is an arian in the show right now he he's not but he's on the west coast right i assume that they'll introduce him at some point in the show if they portray the fall of Numenor, they'll need to, unless they're departing wildly from the books. So, I got you. Interesting. I said when they do portray him, I hope I'll be curious because they'll have a blank check pretty much because he's someone whose character is not really talked about in the books very much. Okay, yeah, but does he ever make it to Middle Earth? Yes, Anarion does make it to Middle Earth. He mm-hmm. dies in the uh, the Last Lands of Elves and Men. Um, okay, yeah, he actually is a king along with the Silder. Elendil and yeah, here are the three king kings of men in Middle Earth. Okay. And then Elendil and Anarion both die, and so he, so there's the only one left. So he sort of is like the king of all men in Middle Earth at that point, hmm. and it's his line that passes through on Terragorn. But yeah. Yeah. Right. And then finally start to see Farazon, kind of conniving with his son. You know, I which. I was kind of confused about when his son went out to the ship and, like, tried to burn it. Because I, was, I wasn't sure if, like, that's something his dad wanted him to do or if that's something that he just decided to do on his own to try to stop it. Yeah, it also is sort of unclear to me why he wants to stop it so much. It seems like Isildur's sister is sort of pushing him, but is that, like, is he really willing to blow up a bunch of ships just for some girl he just met? Or is it, like, some other reason? So, yeah, uh, sort of unclear on this point. I wasn't sure if it was his father wanting him to do it either. But I think the Farazon, like, sort of being conniving and very power-hungry is, like, straight out of the books, and I think it's very interesting and great. So Yeah, yeah no, that's cool. I do like how we're seeing things that are new. I, I, I like that part of it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I think the Numenor storyline is, is great as well that they're doing. Um it's like both carry some of the themes of Tolkien's work, but also like adapts him very well to a modern show. So, right. Okay, so with the dwarves, Durin comes over and like visits Elrond, and they you know start you know chatting it up and all. Now, what was funny is how he like tricks them with the table. Yeah, Durin and Elrond are probably like some of the best parts of the show. Just their <laughs> banter back and forth and the jokes. It's very lighthearted, very reminiscent yeah. of Tolkien's other works of elves and dwarves friendship. Yeah, so that was, yeah, that's pretty cool to see. And 
So I guess the thing that the show talks about, which I didn't know, and I'm not even. I mean, it, I guess it kind of make it would make sense that that's part of the lore, but they talk about the tree on the top of the mountain. Is that actually with that like was you know the elf was trying to save it and the Balrog was like trying to destroy it, so then the power went down through the mountain. Is that legit or do they make that up? Yeah, that was probably one of the most controversial parts of the episode, I'm sure, among Tolkien fans, because that was a hundred percent made up. Um, we know where all three Summerills end up. None of them ended up in a tree. And Mithril in Tolkien's universe is like a very powerful metal, but not necessarily spiritually. It's more physically in terms of its yeah. lightweight. So, because um, what I'm thinking is they're trying, there could be something that they can't talk about or use about the rings, maybe. Because I'm thinking what's going to happen is that the elven rings are going to be made out of Mithril. And are are they, or that is that just... So, some of the rings are made out of mithril, actually, um, but some are not. Some are made out of gold, some are made out of steel. There's all sorts of shapes and yeah. metals. Um, I think I think it was interesting to talk more about this, because this is, like, very interesting, and I think will be a huge part of the show going forward, um, is that, like, the idea that the power of mithril will help preserve the elves. Um, and this is, like, not how Tolkien presents it, but Tolkien sort of does present this idea where the elves in Middle-earth, they're losing their power, and their, their realms are fading because of it. Yeah, um, so I kind of thought that possibly they were going to be using this as a way of showing that they're going to bring back like the elves' light and all that with the rings. But I mean, that is kind of what the rings were for, anyways, right? They're to they're, preserve the elves' lands, and this is yeah. like maybe this is like a for the like, elves, to yeah. keep them from falling apart. Uh, and this is why, if you read the story, it's like. Um, of the Lord of the Rings books, you see that um, the elves, it's like a losing, lose-lose situation for them because if Sauron destroys them, they're destroyed. But if they win the war, they know that Sauron's ring is going to be destroyed and their realms will fall apart because the one rings, or the other ring's powers are tied to the one ring. This is why all the elves pretty much leave Middle-earth after the one ring is destroyed because their realms are falling apart. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, this is like a definitely like a very very much a part of Tolkien's universe is this idea of, like the power of the elves is fading. Um, though the salvation for them was the rings of power and not Mithril. Um, right. But yeah. But I felt like they're trying to use the Mithril to make to the rings, make the rings and then that's like saying, showing oh the Mithril because if it's light is yeah. sustaining the And the rings of power will be made of Mithril or something. And therefore like it, the rings are tied to the Palantir and then also in a more deeper sense to the trees of mm-hmm. Valinor, which was, like, very interesting, yeah. So I guess I'm not, like, it's not the worst uh, thing they've done in the show, I think, by any stretch of the imagination, even if it is pretty much made up from scratch. Yeah, so... Oh, uh, yeah, so the whole Cimarill thing with the Mithril is, like, for lore's yeah. sake, it's a bunch of it's also, made up. It's also, um, to talk about this a little bit more, I think it ties in a lot with the theme of the show, which is this, like you can't know what the light is until you've touched the darkness. The idea that this power is like, has both the, the light of the elves and the the power of the Balrogs and sort of like this light and darkness combined in it. The show seems to have like, gone on with like, no character in the show is like perfectly good. The most powerful characters and the most compelling of the characters are characters who are both good and bad. And this was like very interesting to me because it's like maybe the most un-Tolkien thing of the show so far is that like, Tolkien creates characters that really are like pure good and like are shown most good because they don't know evil. Like the hobbits are Tolkien's sort of like, you know, every day, every person good and they don't know evil things. And even the more powerful characters of the show, like the, uh, the high elves and stuff are also people who can resist evil. So sort of showing, uh, like every character, like Gladriel has like this, you know, I, I can't stop fighting and everyone confuses me with the enemy because this is like the sort of person I've become and yeah it just seems like every character in the show sort of has this like dark side or dark past even elrond is lying to his friend or like torn between lying to his friend um and yeah i guess that that was like a part of the show i didn't really like um because it's not really how tolkien portrays his characters he portrays them as like sort of the good and the bad and then the most of his characters are somewhere in between but this show seems to be like much more shades of gray um yeah i i get that i can see that some characters in the Cimmerillion, like, don't make great choices. 
Yeah, like I said, that's totally true. Like, Fenor obviously is, like, the capital one, and obviously, like, even good characters make mistakes, but mm -hmm. um, that's a dude that, like, yeah, there are, like, pure good characters in the Silmarillion, and it's usually, it's good characters who are corrupted by an evil influence is usually the way it's written, rather than sort of this mm -hmm. innate evil of okay. good of both characters. Okay, I that makes sense. As we, like, talk about on our show, this is, like, sort of a very modern theme, sort of invading Tolkien's world of, like, you know, there are no but good guys and bad guys is just uh, messed up people and people who are trying to do the right thing and sort of like that. Um, and that's not really how Tolkien portrays his characters in his world. Yeah, one thing that I thought was kind of a little uh, unclear about the sealed or going over is that they just kind of out of the blue just pop it in there that, oh, like, his dad granted him access now to to be on the ship. Um, so I thought that was, like, interesting when his dad's, like, going for you have to, like, prove your way. Yeah. It was interesting because by, like, saving this random dude, and the father seems to know something's up, but this act alone was enough for him to be like, all right, I'll take you. It's sort of, uh, it seems a little bit far-fetched. Like, wouldn't anyone save this? I don't know. But. Okay, no, I got you. I didn't, like, trace it back to that event where he had to save that guy out of the water. And I guess something a little more tied to what you're saying about, like, some of the characters just being betrayed as, like, oh, they have this bad side to them, is, so, like, I, I don't see how they're not going to make this guy Gandalf. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, I, I can't see how, why they would make it anybody else or how they could. I mean, it just seems like it would fit that he is so far. But at the end of this past episode, you see him give this, like, kind of weird glare. Like, like as if, like, he's has, he's like, oh, I am powerful now. I can, I can do whatever I want. Kind of yeah. feel, I guess. And it's definitely, I think, at this point, one of the five wizards and apples, oranges, it's Gandalf. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean. But yeah. yeah, like the the character is like, oh, you're good, and he's like, no, I'm not good. I killed the fireflies. Like, this is um another great example where like Gandalf is like one of Tolkien's like most uncorrupted characters in his show. He's like the one who's always persistently fighting evil, and he can be quick tempered. You know, he can sort of throw his allies, you know, a quicken bar, but he's always there to help out his friends, and he cares deeply. And he's also like a powerful force for good. So this is sort of like. He has this sort of like dark origins where he like almost kills a child or you know the ice magic or whatever it's sort of like not at all in tolkien style but yeah i get it because i don't know how much this part of it is supposed to be taken from the books but they have him seeming like you know he gets to middle earth and make it seem like he was just born right he doesn't know anything um and like so he like mistakenly does things against people that he doesn't mean to do and I don't, I guess, like, if you look at, um, like, the Two Towers when Gandalf comes back, this is the movie, of course, mm -hmm. um, but Gandalf comes back, and in a similar way, he's kind of shows that, like, he's out of it in a way, and it's like, um, you know, I don't really know what's going on in a way, because he basically came back from the dead. Yeah, so in that way, they're showing that in a way he is kind of passive, but he's still able to, like, function fully, you know? And I'm thinking, when this story got to Middle-earth, were they, did they, like, you know, I need to, like, run around, like, trying to figure out how to, like, speak and learn things? Or do you think, like, they're, in the books, they kind of, like, hit ground and, like, all right, I need to find these people because Sauron's out there and we need to, like, do something. Yeah, that's a great question, I think. Um, and if you notice, I think the word I would describe Gandalf the White coming back in the Two Towers is as otherworldly, not like a child. He's just like, he's someone who's sort of on a different wavelength. Um, and that is very much, I think, what the story would have been like when they first came to Middle-earth. Obviously, they wouldn't know all the languages, but they would know some Elvish languages because uh, Elvish languages are spoken in Valley Nor where they're from. And therefore, they would be able to quickly make connections and they wouldn't need fireflies or trees or anything like that explained to them right um they would still be, they would be very familiar with these things and also what's not covered is that they probably both of them fought in the ending of the war to fight morgoth so they're also people who would be familiar with conflict and war and already familiar with some of the geography of middle earth i think what's really interesting is that these wizards are per, like portrayed in tolkien's writing as coming to middle earth and 
all of them sort of starting out very strong and opposing Sauron, which was what their purpose was, and sort of slowly fading away. Um, and all of them, except for Gandalf, ends up giving up, or in the case of Saruman, in fact, joining Sauron in ways. Um, so yeah, it's like sort of the opposite, where it's like they start out as, like, this character starts out as, like, nothing, and will eventually have to grow to become someone who is, like, a opponent to Sauron or a good character. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because as you were saying... I want them to portray him as a good character, you know. Even I, that who like doesn't know a whole ton about the books, just like feel that like Gandalf is that like leader all the time, you know, taking like throughout the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. You know, he's the he's the one showing people like the right path, basically. Yep, you know? absolutely. And he, yeah, he's like the persistently good character in the show, most active opponent of Sauron. So yeah, right, and like because. I remember, like, at the end of the Silmarillion, right, they had, like, that is basically the last battle. I mean, the, not the last battle, but, um... That's C.S. Lewis, man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Not the last battle, but the battle of the, the um, last alliance, right? Uh, that's basically. the, yes, that's how the Silmarillion ends, but in the Second Age with, the, again, Sauron, yeah. Yeah, so, it's like, at the end there, you have, like, I remember in that last chapter or whatever, you have, like, Gandalf, Elrond... And maybe there's somebody else that are like basically talking and like deciding like, all right, what are we gonna do? You're talking about um, after the Battle of the Alliance, Last Alliance. Is uh, it after or is it before? Sauron. I thought they were well, kind of planning, but um, I could be wrong. So Gandalf doesn't come to Middle Earth until after the Battle of Last Alliance. Um, Interesting. So he doesn't okay. come to the Third Age as long with with most of the wizards that come then. Um, I got you. So this is another turn from, like, big very turn. Very big turn, yeah. So is, I guess a lot of pe- This might be a big big reason then why people may not be liking the show if they're really yeah, purists. Yeah, the Gandalf timeline. And this is... it's like it's, I understand that some people are, like, purists, but it is a, sort of important that, like, um, of most of the people in... Middle Earth think that Sauron is gone, not at this point, but later on, and that's when the Valars and the Wizards there, when Sauron is sort of making his comeback. So they're sort of portraying Sauron's comeback as now, as opposed to what it really is, which is later. Um, Interesting. Um, so yeah, it's just a sort of a difference of a lot of different sort of timelines. But um, the idea is sort of like if Gandalf, if this really is Gandalf, and he's here, and Isildur eventually like cuts the ring from Sauron's hand. You know, the idea is that there weren't any, like, wizards there to oppose them. There was Elrond and uh, some other characters. But, like, if there were some wizards to oppose them, then maybe they would have been able to convince Isildur or force Isildur to give up the Ring of Power and destroy it. Um, whereas all the wizards sort of come after the ring is taken from Sauron's hand. So, yeah. Yeah. So how about with Numenor going to Middle-earth? I mean, we'll probably see this in the next episode or so. But... I know it seems from like talking with you guys and hearing it from other people that this kind of like they're pretty powerful when they get there. There's not much that's in their way. Yeah, um, that's a interesting divide in the show. So the idea is that Numenor at this stage in its timeline is past its moral height and has begun to be morally corrupted, but their power is at its peak. Um, so they have thousands of ships. They've landed on the coasts of Middle Earth. They already control a lot of space. They're really feared by the enemy, and they just like come to Middle Earth and they just trounce Sauron pretty much single-handedly. Um, and so he comes in person to Numenor and corrupts them spiritually, and that actually ends up causing their final downfall. Um, so the idea that like they only have like a few ships and they're only sending three ships to Middle Earth is sort of strange at this point, and I'm curious to see what the show does with it because at this point they'd be sending hundreds of ships of thousands of soldiers of very powerful hmm. uh, warriors. So. Yeah, yeah, because like. To me, thinking about that, I want to see, like, Numenor at its power, because, like, I feel at the end of this, maybe not at the end of the season, because I feel like, with the way it's been going, there's a lot for them to be putting in these last, like, what, three episodes now? Yeah. To, to end, to, like, cause Numenor to, like, fall, right, before the, sh- before the season ends is a yeah. little... Yeah, so that's a great question, I think, of, like how much they have left. So if they're following the timeline correctly, and I, this is what I'm assuming this part is, is that they'll yeah. go to Middle-earth, that they'll beat Sauron. This is in the story, they beat Sauron. They bring him back, and then Sauron sort of convinces them to commit heresies and to attack the gods, and the gods end up, Middle-earth end up destroying them, the Valar. Um, 
So that, that would take like several episodes, I would think at least, and sort of show this like slow corruption of the men of Numenor, um, and especially their lust for eternal life. Um, yeah. And if Numenor really is going to fall at the end of the show, which I, this, or at least this season, I wish I don't think it will. It might be, be or, it might away. be like early of the next season or something. Yeah. Because what yeah. you might see in this season is Sauron possibly being overthrown. Yeah, that that totally is a possibility. I think it's just interesting that like if you think like what's happened in the show, it's like like with the Harfoots, it's like I don't know. It just feels like the a lot of things haven't really happened. If that makes any sense, right? Like, uh, yeah. Uh, like Galadriel, a storyline that takes place at the beginning, but then she pretty much just goes to Numenor. Spent her whole time of the, like the show there, and then has only now like begun to leave. Um, and in Numenor, it's like Galadriel came, and then they've sort of been convinced to help the elves because of the falling of the trees. And then, like, um, the Southlands, it's like, oh, we have, like, some, like, stories of, like, this Adar guy and the elves getting all killed or kidnapped, and they're built, the orcs are building these tunnels. But it just feels like they're, I expected more big story beats from at this point in the season. Yeah, I, I'd agree, because I feel like they're trying to build suspense about characters. But in trying to do that, are they just stringing out people and they're watching it? And people being like, all right, like, we want to know more, but they're trying to get people to, like, want more. I don't know. Yeah, I think that, uh, most clearly with, like, Sauron, I think that, like, I think the reason they've, like, waited so long before introducing, like, uh, this is Sauron is, like, we want people to, like, be guessing, like, oh, who is the villain of the show? Yeah. But I think they've waited so long that it's almost going to be anticlimactic and, like, well, we've got to have a villain eventually, right? Like, and like this Adar guy doesn't really seem like he's that much of a villain, but um, yeah, because yeah. the the old guy that's leading the Southlands people to find um the Dark Lord, I'm just gonna call him what Adar, Adar, yeah. Adar, yeah, Adar. He's like, you are Sauron, aren't you? He's like, and he, he takes him and he's really like throws him to the yeah. ground. It's like, what is that supposed to mean? Yeah, just to clarify, just... he really is a bad dude, but it doesn't seem like he's the overall villain of the show. Um, yeah, and more seems like a dark, twisty sort of person. Yeah, um, but yeah, so like if I don't know, it's just because I feel like build up wise, you know, like at this point, I think they could have done a better job on giving me battle scenes that or something that's gonna make me riding on my seat because that's like what are you gonna what are you gonna have in a fantasy show if you're not um you know if you're like there aren't like battle scenes that are gonna hook you you know what i mean yeah i think it's like what's really interesting is like stakes is also really important right like you think of all the big battles and the lord ring series and they're like all things that are there's a lot at stake either the ring's gonna be captured or the like heroes that we know of are going to die. Um, and at this point in time, it's like the only thing that I think would really was like, Oh, if they attack the tower, that's like sort of like there's big stakes there, but like in the rest of the storylines, I mean, obviously the Harfoots mm-hmm. aren't really like a lot of stakes there or like in the dwarf storyline, that's like, doesn't seem like I'm really that interested or like, there's not like going to be conflict or physical conflict. It yeah. doesn't seem like, so um, yeah, I think it was really interesting. that like, they seem to have, I don't know. It's funny. Like, Regardless of what else you think about the show, I think it's made some mistakes at this point. Yeah, it so. has. It has. Because, yeah. As I said before, like, I I just felt there was something lacking. Something like a lack of interest that was going on. So Yeah. And we kind of like talked this before, but I think a lot of Middle-Earth fans that knew the books before, like, you know, read the books and all, before the movies... And now before the show that basically are the ones who are giving it the toughest critique and probably saying, oh, it's not worth watching. At least that's kind of what I, the sense I get. So I want to know how many fans in the movies read the books as a result. Because I grew up watching the movies without reading the books, but I loved them. And, you know, I just feel like that for people who are purists, just kind of just never didn't like him as much yeah. yeah so great question um i think what i would say is that first of all to any of our listeners who have watched the movies and really like them and haven't read the books the books are fantastic they're some of the best stories ever told and it 
even people who like, oh, it's my favorite movie, they like the books even more than they like the movies a lot of the times. Um, I know the movies aren't bad by any stretch of the imagination, but there's just there's so many little details and themes that Tolkien has in his works that are so powerful and so meaningful to everyday life that are just are not able to capture it in, in movies, despite however long the extended edition lengths are. But I think you're right that a lot of people consider themselves to be big Middle Earth or Tolkien fans who have never really read the books. They've just seen the movies and they sort of see the movies as sort of the ideal story or whatever that perfectly captures Tolkien's ideas for middle earth or whatever um or even not not even so much that as they they like the movies a ton and they don't have the books as a way of saying oh these are how great the books are and the books are really great and no now i watch the movies and they the movies are you know they're good but not as good as the books like for me like i watched the movies i thought they were great like and i i just yeah. didn't know the books very well not saying that like the books weren't bad or anything but i'm just wondering if there are people who were in the books before is there a difference between how much they like the movies or the show compared to people who really haven't read the books before and they're watching the movies in the show yeah um since you haven't read the i don't know i i don't know of a lot of people who like I think a lot of people I know that haven't read the books seem to be enjoying the show a lot more than I have who have read the books. So maybe that is the case, yes. Yeah, that's um, what, and that's what I'm thinking because, yeah. I think this like, is asking a bigger question of like, like the question whenever I watch the show, and they, this is unavoidable for me, is that like it's not a question as in like, how good is this show? It's like, oh, how good is this show that's set in Tolkien's Middle Earth? Mm-hmm. Um, so... Um, yeah, like even if it's a great show and has like great ideas and themes, if it's not really Tolkien-esque, I'm going to walk away disappointed. Um, and I think other people are like, I'm just here to have fun and enjoy the next 40 minutes of my life. And so I don't want to like be a hater for those people. Like if you like the stories and the like things and don't care about like what Tolkien's work is like, that's totally fine. Like, but um, yeah, I guess like to me that is important and that an author's work is sort of represented in the movie adaptations and the show adaptations as well. Yeah, no, that's because that's something that I think is a big difference between people who do not like the show and the people who are like fine with it. And I wonder who the people are who are leaving reviews because I've heard that a lot of people say like, "Oh, these reviews that I've read or seen, like these people aren't liking the show, and they're so like it's not you know good to watch." Or or something like Amazon. Re- people are saying Amazon removed their reviews on it for like the first couple of episodes or whatever for some reason. Yeah, that Amazon like because I think they own IMBD or something, so they like were removing reviews. Oh really? But, um, yeah. If there's if there's one thing about Tolkien fans is that they're dedicated, and so if they feel like the show isn't living up to Tolkien standards, they will be take the effort to review the show right so yeah. rather than someone who's just like oh, i'm just trying to hear to enjoy myself and maybe doesn't bother yeah. leaving a review so exactly yeah um, i think that's a good point yeah yeah okay here's here's something that i thought was interesting that came up in like some in some facebook comments they talked about how apparently galadriel in the books is supposed to be married and have a daughter at this point um, you would be a hundred, they would be a hundred percent accurate. She's supposed to be already like a queenly figure, not like a soldier, be married to Celeborn, uh, who she, see married her in mm-hmm. the Fellowship of the Ring. Right. The, yeah. Um, yeah. So Lothlorien. Yep. And so, uh, and have a daughter, uh, Celebrian, I think is her name. And she actually ends up marrying Elrond and becomes the mother of Luthien. So a very significant character, if nothing else. Um, wait, but wait, yeah. Wait. Elrond marries Galadriel's daughter. He's the father of Luthien? Sorry, not Luthien. Arwen. Arwen, okay, okay. Arwen is described <laughs> as the second Luthien. Yeah, so, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that makes yeah. sense. You got me there, though. I, yeah, I, I got you. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. Because um, this is another thing that people were saying is kind of indicative of where the producers are trying to make their agenda is that, you know, they don't show her as a mother or a wife, part of a family. They just show her as a soldier going out there on her own. Um, and yeah. people are thinking, like, 
like that's not exactly like correct it's not how it doesn't really fit the yeah story. that's a that's a great point i think even i did go even like sort of like and I, I think i've already gone a little bit in this direction but also that like they haven't portrayed her as like being magical but being like someone who's just physically very strong um you know there's like this moment where she just like punches through like a stone wall in the first episode it's like um whereas tolkien portrays her as like one of the most powerful sorcerers on middle earth and also i'll mention this again but like Tolkien portrays her as a very, like, morally good character, um, like, sort of the best character, well, one who's the anti-Sauron as, like, opposed to, like, the sort of, like, the magical, pure, like, white character. That's how she's always portrayed. And this show is portraying her very much as a morally ambiguous character with, uh, I can't stop fighting. I'm, like, people confuse me with Sauron, is what she says, and her own men turn against her. Um, just not at all the way Tolkien would have portrayed her in any yeah. of his works. Yeah, or so did it's... portray her in any of his works. It's definitely interesting to talk with somebody who's got definitely a different kind of at look at it than I've been looking at. Because there are times that I'm thinking like, "All right, what's wrong?" Like there, I feel I don't like I don't see anything wrong with the show right now. I'm I think it's fine. You know, it's like they're not really pushing any strong agenda. But then to hear things about like, well, you know, Galadriel was actually like married had a daughter at this point and they're not sh- and they don't even bring her out as- anyways it was just very very yeah. interesting to yeah. see that i think that's true um i actually have like a question and something i thought a topic i'd bring up um and this was very interesting to me because it's how the show in general has been portraying like the difference between elves and men in the show like there's not really much of a distinction gladriel will frequently cover her ears with her hair and no one will know that she's an elf. And this is a very interesting idea to me that like um, Tolkien portrayed elves and men and dwarves as all very different races. Um, that they're different not only in just like small things, but in large things. There are people with very different natures, and that elves and dwarves have like magic as extensions of their being. Or dwarves, it's more in the things that they make and build. Um, and that men are just physically stronger and more powerful than the other races is another like thing that they haven't really talked about in the show. But um, physically powerful physically powerful men are like strong and physically powerful dwarves have like um like a a lot of like uh bursts of speed but um like it's men who are sort of like the tall like imposing figures uh, in the middle earth so then um okay just like just just kind of going off of that so then would the would elves be not considered as like physically strong as men that's totally correct and if you notice they always portray like characters like Legolas as being more agile and quick and this is sort of maybe how they're more portrayed in tolkien's okay. lore. not that they're not powerful warriors but that they're not the physically like men would be like the tower shields or whatever they would like be about formations and elves are more about arrows and stuff like that um but i think this is a deeper element in the show that they've portrayed there's like a lot of animosity between elves and men which is like it's totally like valid that the the men that there were men that didn't like the elves and there were elves that didn't like certain men, but this hatred seems to be born out of almost exclusively out of like past hurts and wrongs. And they bring up this a lot that these people served Morgoth or like the elves have been our oppressors and stuff. And in Tolkien's literature, there's always this like different like spiritual difference between elves and men. That elves are just otherworldly sort of creatures, and the reason there's not like romances between men and elves is not just because there's like past hatreds or conflicts, but um, because like they're just fundamentally different beings. Um, and it's only the best of both of those worlds who can come together and make like a union out of it. And this is a very interesting idea because you can't overestimate how like important the way Tolkien portrays elves is to his work. And it seems very much like they've made them very much like perhaps uh, to reflect more like different cultures or races in our own world where like there's a lot of animosity because of past grievances or wrongs. But ha- but we would ultimately fundamentally say that people are pretty much the same no matter where you are as long as you know you account for differences of culture and this is not at all the way tolkien portrays the difference between elves men and dwarves in his works so yeah it's good to have that different perspective from somebody who hasn't read the books well i think like the idea that in our current culture like answering questions of you know race and race relations is so important and like uh, so frequently talked about in politics and so i think the show is trying to answer some of those questions I'm not saying Tolkien didn't answer some of those questions and, you know, the way he portrays friendship between Legolas and Gimli, but it was also a deeper thing that he was portraying, that friendship overcomes not just, you know, past wrongs and grievances or history, but it overcomes even some, like, genuine differences between us, so. Yeah, that's good. So something kind of a little cheesy that 
I recognized, I think this last episode was that there's no kissing up to this point. And it seems that in a real way that there wouldn't be any. I mean, you don't like get a whole lot of like lovey-dovey stuff in the books. Oh, not at all. So like there's besides like you get like Baron and Luthien where like if they were to do a story off of that, I feel like, you know, they would kiss like, you know, second episode or something. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. Tolkien's writing is like high romance, right? Like it's like this love of each other's souls and not like a physical passion necessarily. I mean, granted, like yeah. there are characters that kiss, but like um, you think of Baron and Luthien, like they're like on, they go on this quest together. But the only thing I remember is that like whenever they present themselves to Luthien's father after fighting for the Silmarils is that they're like holding hands or whatever. So like hardly like them making out. Yeah, um, and yeah. I think the original Lord of Things does a great job with portraying sort of that romance between Arwen and Aragorn that does end with a passionate kiss, but it's not like they're spending their time making out. They're like yeah, conversing and they mean yeah. things to each other besides, you know, physical passions. Um, yeah. No, but I feel like, Phil, if you notice that, maybe we need to start getting you a girlfriend. Because <laughs> 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 oh, I had no man. idea. I did not notice that at all. So. <laughs> so the only, so a big reason why I noticed it is because, so I started that petition against because bezos said inappropriate contents right everybody's you know hears of like you know game of thrones and and game of thrones really does think well if you want to get it if you want to get this thing out there then you're gonna be you know selling romance putting in like you know sex and all that and stuff and trying to you know get viewers you know and anyway so with me i'm seeing a ron deer and bronway in those scenes, like, coming kind of close to each other, and they never kiss. And it's like they're, like, going to go for it. You know, at least coming from so many different movies and shows that when that hap- when you, like, see that happening about, like, you're like, oh, well, they're going to kiss. But it's like, oh, wait, no, they're not. So, one, maybe it is them trying to be more pure to the books and the lore. Another thing that I thought is... They were deciding to stay so, like, not even going to touch anything, <laughs> like, suggestive with a 10-foot pole, you know? That's a good thing. That, all the, uh, yeah. view, all the view, uh, you know, fans that have given them such trouble about it. I mean, like, if you think the show is great, like, then it just proves that you don't need to sell romance and sex to make it a good show, right? Like, we have um, Arondir and Bronwyn, which is, like, I mean, it's a romance, but, like, it's not like they're, like, need to passionately make out. And I think it is very Tolkien-esque in that they like mean things to each other it's not just about their own romance but you know to Arondir it seems like Bronwyn is like sort of this symbol that these men might have served more off in the past but they can be something something different something better and he like loves that part of them and that's sort of what she is a stand-in for in some ways um I think which is really good yeah I I really like the Arondir and Bronwyn and sort of the Southland storyline I think is one of the best part of it is good so something that different people have asked me over like the past week actually has been interesting is either people like just picking up that I, you know, have been watching the show that I'm like into Middle Earth and whatnot and different people have asked me, so do you like, what do you think about the show? You know, like, and I've told people that I think it's worth watching and That isn't necessarily to say that, like, it's going to be some great Tolkien adaptation, but I think it's worth watching just for the sake of dissecting it and figuring out, like... And the music. The music is fantastic. I have no complaints about the music of the show. See, I I haven't really told... Like, I can't... I don't know. It's not... I feel like... It is good, probably, because it hasn't really, like, stood out as being bad or anything. I mean, Howard Shore is actually doing the music so yeah i mean i think also the uh the the song that the harfoot sings at the very beginning i forget her name but um yeah. it's like fantastic and feels very right. tolkien-esque of his like yeah. traveling song so i really love that and the music's been fantastic the show has looked gorgeous too so like i think this is like the kind of person if i was directing the show i'd be like well, what kind of person are you, you like the person who likes fantasy shows and you'll probably like this if you're a hardcore tolkien fan the show will probably you know, tastes a little bit bad going down in some ways. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Have a bad aftertaste is maybe yeah. for it, but yeah. I don't know. It just seems that a lot of people that I know 
have thought, oh, really? Like, I've heard that it's, like, not worth watching, basically. As you were saying, I don't think it's really worth watching to see that it's, oh, some great Tolkien masterpiece, because you're not going to find that. And I don't really know what people are seeing in reviews that are making them think, oh, this is not worth watching. So interestingly enough, I heard one comment from a friend who talked about the dialogue. And after they said that, and I like, I watched some past episodes again, and I started noticing the new episodes, like the dialogue is pretty terrible, actually. Um, a lot of lines just come across as very cheesy, very like, um, yeah, just like terrible and like not at all like conveying. And if you read, like Tolkien was a like an English professor, right? Like he studied the English language. He was meticulous in his books. And the original Lord of the Rings movies, they steal oh, yeah. whole sections yep. of dialogue right from his books. Um, and so all those lines that are so memorable are not really coming from the mind of Peter Jackson, but from the mind of directly from the mind of yeah. Tolkien. I think that makes them, that's probably what makes the movie so great. I mean, you think even like if you look at memes, there's so many of them out there. And this is something the show really lacks because Tolkien did not write dialogue for these. Even though he described these scenes, he did not write yeah. dialogue for them. Right. And so you have like these just very cheesy lines of Gladriel, you know, I am the storm and just other lines about, yeah. you know, new Norton's complaint that people are stealing their jobs and they're like, this is sort of cheesy and not very middle earthy at all. Yeah. And so that's something I think that's, I've definitely been annoyed by that. I think that, I think a lot of people have, even if you're not a huge fan of yeah. Tolkien, you pick up on that. I think really fast. Yeah. And to be honest, actually, and I think I was trying to repress it a bit, but going into the first episode, I was wondering about, Wait a second, with Gladwell's character, I just felt like she was very, like, stone cold, like, no expression at all, just kind of talking. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt, see how it goes. But that was something that, like, just, you know, kind of kind of turned me off at first. I felt like her acting could have been better. Yeah, I don't know, like, a lot about acting, so I'm not going to criticize any of the actors, I'm sure they're all like high paid but i i don't yeah like it's interesting is like what are they even aiming at with for Gladriel? something i don't know right like in the original Tolkien trilogy she is sort of stoic because like she's like this high queen right and so the way she conveys emotion is like very subtly um and so are they going for like sort of more of that or they want her to be more expressive because they're not really portraying her like they did in the original trilogy right so i think that's an interesting question of like how is Gladriel supposed to be portrayed it seems like they don't really know how to answer that question yeah, definitely. Elves also, like, were portrayed in Tolkien's trilogy as just being more stoic in general. You know, it's like, like yeah. and pull a lot of extreme faces or whatever, or emotions. So maybe that's just how they decided elves needed to be portrayed, which is probably pretty accurate to Tolkien's work. Cool. Yeah, well, thanks, Mark, for... Thanks for having me, Phil. And, it was fun. Yes. And uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for viewing. And uh, check out the next episode whenever it comes out. Thanks for visiting the White City. Before you leave, please subscribe to our podcast and check us out at thewhitecitypodcast.com. Consider supporting my movement on Facebook, keeping the rings of power pure.